I want to talk about something today that some people may find, well, Christians may find a bit controversial, but I've seen it so many times that I just wanted to speak about it. And it's the notion that Jesus is all that is needed and that he is the only answer. When I say that, I don't mean the only one, like he's, he is the only answer ultimately, but it's him and, it's Jesus and. I think a lot of time, especially as believers, we feel that if we pray about something, that's all that there is to it and we don't need to do anything else. So we absolve ourselves of responsibility. We, we, we absolve ourselves of of reflecting and seeing how if we were the issue, if there is a greater issue, if there are changes that need to be made, we pray about it, that God fix it, and then we go about our business doing the same thing that is hindering the actual answer, the actual healing. It's Jesus and, Jesus and therapy. Jesus and talking to your spouse. Instead of you praying for your spouse to change, that your spouse praying for you to change and y'all go like that until, you know, till you're old and gray, but you have never sat together and said, hey, this isn't working for me anymore. We need to sit and talk about this. We need to figure a way to move forward together. That means you have to be willing and I have to be willing to make adjustments as needed. And if we're not, then we need to make a decision as to what we're going to do about that. Are we, but this is not working for me. But instead we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for that person to change. And we don't even look at the ways that we are contributing to the situation. We pray and we pray and we pray for our child to change, but we don't look at the way that we are contributing to the situation. Are you listening to that child or are you totally just seeing them as an extension of you and saying, this is what I need, so therefore this is what you need. This is what I should have done, so this, therefore this is what you should do. And then you hold that over them and you don't give them space to be themselves or space to even see them. The same with spouses, the same with siblings. We tend to look at relationships and look at situations from a point of view that is through our own glasses and not stop and think, what is, what is this person dealing with? And if that person is dealing with something and they don't feel that they can share it or even acknowledge it because we don't tend to acknowledge what we're feeling. We don't tend to acknowledge, you know, if we're going through a crisis or if we're going through or if we just are, this is not, you know, I know this is how it was always done. And I know this is how people normally feel, but this is not how I feel. And so we go through the, the motions, we mask ourselves. It's Jesus and let me go to a, to a therapist and see why I'm constantly doing this same thing. Why I'm constantly feeling this way. Why I can't seem to get out of this rut. Because it may have nothing to do with your present situation. It could be something that developed in your childhood. And something happened there or the environment that you were in caused you to be a certain way or to develop a certain way. Whether that is true, whether the situation, the way that you saw it was true or not. 
I recently watched a movie. Well, it was a series on Netflix. So they tend to do, well, they'll do series where it's not just a movie that goes on for two hours, but they'll do multiple episodes. And so this one was 16 episodes and each episode was about an hour and a half, I think. So um, I watched these episodes and it was of this a man that um, he grew up in the mountains of, I don't know if it was, I don't know. I, I it was I don't know if it was Korea or if it was China. <laughs> I think they were speaking Korean. And so, but I don't know exactly where it was, but they grew up in the mountains. And so um he had a father who was a um, you know, person, I forget the what they call a vagrant, where that they called him a vagrant, whereas he lived on his own, he built his own um, you know, home up in the mountains. He didn't interact with people. Um, he stayed to himself and he married someone and um, they were kind of the same way and they had a child and that the mother couldn't deal with it anymore. And so she left. She just abandoned them. And so he um, continued to raise the son and then he died. And so since the son was only with him, um, you know, the son couldn't take care of himself. And he went to the side of the road. He went down the mountain to the side of the road. And this man who had a family, he had a pregnant wife, saw him. He was riding his bike on home on the way from work. And he saw him there at the side of the road and it was snowing. So he took him home because the people in the town knew of him knew of the man i guess they didn't really you know that he died or whatever but he saw him on the side so he knew something happened so he took him home and they took him in and raised him he became their son and um so here we are about 16 or 17 years later and the the pregnancy resulted in a daughter and so he had a sister and he's an adult at this point and he has always been like sad so even though they you know took him in and, and he became their son he was still sad because you know i guess the obviously the losing of his mom who just disappeared and then his father passed away and what happened is his father just never came home and apparently he died and so that abandonment that's you know abandonment twice affected him and so he didn't trust happiness because when he was happy then something happened and the person disappeared because they were together all the time they were very close-knit and so um when that disappears so then now even though he's in a family that loves him and they are they're his family that's his mom that's his dad that's his sister period and he still struggled with that he yes they were his parents and he acknowledged them as so that's his sister he acknowledged but internally he struggled and he wouldn't call the mother mom he would say mother so he wouldn't you know, say I love you or anything like that or acknowledge any feeling or, or affection. But he was always there. They lived, you know, in the same area and he was always there. So did all the motions and everything. 
And so the mother was a bit distraught about that because what would happen is he had an uncle who kind of lived the same way and the uncle would come in and out periodically of his life and basically was trying to tell him that you know, that he was his blood and the people that raised him were not his blood. And, you know, he thinks being there for the amount of time that he did repaid back what they did by taking him in. And so he needed to come with him now at this point and forget about them because that wasn't his blood. So therefore that wasn't his family. And it kind of triggered something within him because because of what happened to him when he was young, he had the fear of being happy because the fear that that happiness would be taken away. And so my point about this is the part with the mother, because one time he disappeared, he disappeared for three years. And that's because his birth mother contacted him after abandoning him, all of a sudden contacted him because she was dying and wanted to see him and wanted him to come and take care of her. And so he went and took care of her for three years until she passed, which was flabbergasting to me because you abandoned him. All of a sudden now you pull in responsibility that he had responsibility to you to come and take care of you. <laughs> and then at one point there was a flashback of her asking him to tell her that he loved her and to call her mom. And I'm like, how are you asking him to do that? And you abandoned him and only showed back up in his life because you were dying and wanted him to take care of you. So you can see how all of this is psychologically messing this, this boy up. <laughs> but back to the mother part. So he disappeared and they couldn't find him because he didn't tell him what he was doing. He just disappeared. Didn't say anything to his mom and dad. Just disappeared. And then he came back. And so... He would have these bouts that he would go back because the home that his birth father had built was still there and he would go there all the time and, you know, just sit there and then, you know, and then he would come back down and stuff. And the mother could tell, you know, when he was getting kind of distant and she had a fear that he would disappear again and then he, you know, that maybe he wouldn't come back and his sister did too. And so, um, because he would disappear for some days and then he would come back and stuff like that because, you know, he was always internally dealing with this. And so, um, at one point the, the uncle came back because one time he came back, he asked for money, he gave him his, all the money he had and then he disappeared. And because, you know, pulling the card of blood, you know, we're blood. <laughs> and so, um, one time when he, he came back into town and the mother was distraught because she was like, she didn't want him to disappear again um, and stuff like that. And the father was telling her, you know, he if he wants to go, then he'll go. There's nothing we can do about it. And then he was telling her he'll never say what you want him to say. What she wanted is for him to acknowledge her as his mom and to say, I love you. But he would always treat her more formally. I, I, I mean, you know, in that way loved her and you know if she needed something he would be there but it was you know it was more formally did I say informal formal like that part of him he would not let be seen but she you know and then she said to the, the father it's like you know then the father was like you know he you know isn't ours and she's like what do you mean he's my son <laughs> It's like, do you see him any differently than the daughter we gave birth to? 
Have you ever treated him any differently? If anything, I treated him, you know, favored him more. <laughs> so there would be no doubt. And he was like, no, he's a, he's our son. And she's like, you know, so she was this, this rot about that. And so at one point, and this was probably because the, 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 his sister was still in high school. So I think she was what we would consider 11th grade. Um, and so that means it's been what? That's 11 years of school. And then, of course, you have to maybe five years of not being in school. So um, 16. So she'd be about 16. So 16 years later. He comes to her because he had handmade, uh, he got a scarf and then he wrote, you know, um, embroidered on the scarf to the mom, he, her name. And he said, the mom that I love. And he gave it to her for her birthday. And she was like so much in tears because he finally acknowledged because when the uncle came back and said all that and that he needed to come with him and come to find out that he had taken the money that he had asked him for and he had sold his sailing boat and he said well he's done you know with you know that life now and you know that's the way their family is. Their family is our loners. And so he figured that, you know, at this point may as well, both of them, you know, live together because they're the same. And he's like, do you think you're any different than us? And that was so interesting because it's like he was, he wanted something different. And so, um, so he refused that and he went back home and to his family. And then he gave that to her. So he started to finally let go of that fear of losing happiness and embrace his mother in particular, truly. And that took almost 20 years. So my purpose in saying all of that is when we have trauma that we have experienced and each of us respond to that trauma, react to that trauma, develop around that trauma in different ways. You have some people at the point of that trauma, you kind of get stuck at the age that you are at. And especially if that trauma happened as a child, if it happened at five years old, you get stuck at that age. If it happened at 10, if it happened at two, if it happened at, at one, you get at birth, you get stuck at that age. So while you are developing physically and in other aspects, when things happen that kind of um, trigger, trigger you, back, you go back to that place, back to that five-year-old, back to that one-year-old, back to that newborn, back to that 10-year-old. And if we don't deal with that, we go back to that place continually and we react and respond as if we're in that place. We're not 50 years old, we're 10, <laughs> you know? And so we react as if we're 10 because we haven't healed at that point. So we're stuck in that place. And so we haven't healed that place and able to move on. And so that's what tends to happen a lot. And you see this a lot, especially when children come out 
of the foster care system or if they come out of like orphanages and stuff like that you see that a lot they get stuck in places or you see it in places where maybe your home environment was you know it not emotionally stable um you know just a lot of different things going on in your 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 home environment in as you grew up and especially if you are a more sensitive person and when i say sensitive i mean you have people that are you know in internally tough and you have people that are internally sensitive and that's not a bad thing i'm just saying there's a difference because when you have internal sensitivity high sensitivity it affects you more it stunts you more and so you may come to the place where you're like you know what i am feeling safety now i didn't feel safety back then and i was reading this book and it was the same thing you know she grew up in a home where her parents um, they got pregnant and so they got married, but the mother gave up her dreams and everything like that. The father also gave up his dreams and had to work to take care of her. Her sister is who they were pregnant with and then they had her. So they say, basically they lived their lives taking care of them and it was tough. It was tough financially and, and everything. And they actually ended up not loving each other. Um, and so it's like they were in, but they decided to stay together. So she saw, and it was very clear that, you know, they actually kind of stayed in, I think after the, the girls left, they were in different rooms and stuff. So, but they continued to live together, even though they weren't, you know, they didn't love each other. Um, and so, um, and the mother, you know, was telling her and communicating with her and her sister from her point of view, which is I gave up everything and I don't want you to do that. So when she brought home somebody that she fell in love with and she wanted to get married to, she was still in medical school to become a surgeon. And the mother told her that, you know, don't even think about marriage right now because she didn't want her to follow in her footsteps because she knew what she gave up when she did that. She had a dream of becoming a doctor and she had to give that up because she became pregnant. Well, she didn't have to. She gave it up because the, the priority then became taking care of the children and putting everything into the children and making sure that, you know, they had everything like that. And so they wanted them to live their dreams of potential. But in her doing that, she's looking at it from her glasses, her shades. And so by her pushing her, pushing her to go ahead and become the surgeon, it turns out she didn't even want to be a surgeon. What she was trying to do is please them because she can tell that there was unhappiness in the home. And so every time she did something that achieved something, they would be happy. And so that's what her aim was to make them happy and proud, not really considering what she truly wanted to do. So you can have so many different instances that shape you it's not just oh somebody abused you or whatever it could just be something like that and you are sensitive and you see like oh i need to fix this as a child i see that 
you know, the way that they look at each other and the way that they, um, you know, argue and the way that, you know, doesn't seem like they really want to be together. But, and I see the way that they get stressed when something happens, like something with the car and then they have to put the money together to fix it. Or, you know, they have to put the money together to get, you know, the fees for our school, you know, and something happened because it was very tight. It was very tight financially. And so she saw how stressed they were and she internalized that because she said to herself, that if she and her sister weren't there and they didn't have to give up their lives to take care of them, then they wouldn't be going through this. So you see what happens. They didn't say that at all. <laughs> and that actually wasn't their point of view. That was that she, you know, they came to a point where they were actually able to talk about it. And she told her that was their choice. And she had to realize that she was not responsible for anyone's choices. But then her mother did too, because her mother felt like she was responsible for making sure that she would be happy. But her vision of happiness was her fulfilling what it is that she said she wanted to do and going after that, not realizing that the reason why she, her daughter was doing it is to see her happy. That because, and she wasn't even thinking about her own happiness or what she really wanted. She was doing it based on, I want to see you happy. So I'm not even thinking about what I really want, but this is making you happy. Okay, I'm going to continue to do it. So it can come from different places, spoken and unspoken. And if you never talk it out, if you never address it, then you never know because we make assumptions. Just like her mother made an assumption and she made an assumption about her parents and went based on that. And the assumption turned out to not be fact. So it's Jesus and if you can't work all of that out yourself, then it's Jesus and a therapist. It's Jesus. And if you, you know, those issues are causing you to feel depressed or anxious or whatever, then it's Jesus and the therapist and medication. <laughs> it's Jesus and. One of the things that I have realized about my children is that and it actually made me think about a friend of mine's spouse or former spouse that they were happy just base that they had a roof over their head and they were with their spouse that was their own it seemed to be their only only goal or dream in life or desire or fulfillment in life not necessarily having a house, not necessarily, you know, building wealth or anything like that, that just the fact that they had good enough, that was fine with them. And if they needed something, okay, let's go out. We'll work to, to get it. And then, you know, and we're good with that. They didn't have any, didn't seem to have any goals beyond that. And then I think about what I know about them from their childhood. I don't know everything, but from what I do know, I actually think of them because I think of my kids because I made a statement to that person recently that I can, it's like, I can see like a possibility of in 10 years when my children are all adults or almost all adults or 15 years, they'll definitely be all adults by then <laughs> that they'll be good with, okay, time to get up. Okay, time to eat. Okay, time for me to take you to work. Okay, time for us to go back home. Time to eat dinner. Time to go to bed. And I could see them being 
comfortable in that. Even though they're adults. And I'm like, is, is this what is this what we're going to be doing? Is this is this what we're going to be doing? They're going to be adults and we're just still doing the same thing. <laughs> and then she said, you know, that miracles can happen and they do. But I'm not coming from this or saying that from the point of that I don't think that they can do better. I'm saying it from the point of that I realize the need. We all have core needs. And if those core needs are not fulfilled, we continue to seek them out. My kids, the four, the three um, girls, their core need is stability. Because neither of them, all three of them, did not have that stability for different reasons. The one in particular, no. They were, came to me just after turning two and they had been in like five different homes that young. The other two, they were in the same home, but because the birth parents were there and not there in and out and, you know, that stability was not there either. And they took that internally because okay, you, you have to go see them, you know, even you don't know what they're saying in there, you know, and stuff like that. And then they have to, you know, I remember one time seeing them when I went to, I had to, I only had to take my kids to a court appearance once. And I remember seeing them when we had to do that. Um, so it's like, you don't know what they were internalizing. And, but all three of them, Their core need is stability. So doing the same thing over and over again, this is what we do, this is that, then this happens, you disrupt that, and they get anxious. Because their core need is stability. My son is different because he came to me as two days after he was born. He came to me straight from the hospital. So his core need is not that. <laughs> It's very different for him. And so when I say that, I'm like, hmm. Because you can have somebody that's 65, 70, 75 years old. And if they have been through a life where they felt that their core needs and or not that they felt, but in the reality that their core needs were not met, then they spend... They can spend the rest of their life filling that core need or desiring that core need. And if anything disrupts that and they can't continue in that, then they're kind of, you know, all over the place, not stable. And then you have to determine, okay, you know, because if you're going to be with somebody like that and they want to eat, Every Sunday, and I watch this other movie too. He, with his wife, did the same thing. It's like every every Saturday at one, they went to this coffee shop and had this particular dessert with some coffee. Stayed there for an hour, then they went home and he read and she grace, graded her school papers. They went to bed by a certain time. 
Every morning he gets up, he does his rounds. He was the home association person. He does his rounds every single day. Every single day. That's what he did. The same thing. That was his core need. That stability. Because what happened is when they got married, she was, and she, they got pregnant. And then they went on a trip just before, you know, to go on a trip, baby moon, before the baby gets born. And there was an accident and she was injured and paralyzed and they lost the baby. So after that, he changed. It's like, you know, this is what we're doing because he wanted to, in his inner self, he couldn't control that because he had just gotten up to go use the lavatory in the bus and then the accident happened. So he wasn't even right next to her because he had just gotten up to go. So he seemed to have taken that on as it kind of was his fault. And so therefore, from then on, it's like, okay, this. So that that trauma I don't want to, to deal with that trauma again. So therefore, this is how I have to have everything. Everything needs to happen just this way. So I can control what's going on around me. So I don't ever get to that place again where I feel that way. And that's what happens when a lot of times when people deal with trauma. When I said that about my kids and I'm like, hmm. And then I thought about myself because I'm like, because I'm like, I really kind of do the same thing every day too. When I was growing up, what I wanted most was freedom. I wanted, I wasn't able to do exactly what I wanted to. I, it's not like, oh, I want to, you know, go partying and stuff. I actually wanted to get my GED because I thought of high school as a waste of time. And so I spent my high school years um, getting involved in every elective that I could and doing things that I enjoyed. Until I reach 18 and I can have, you know, control and authority over my own life. But I actually wanted to get a GED because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know I didn't want to go to college, but that was the expectation um, at that time. Um, and I did it. I didn't go to college. I went to art school <laughs> for interior design. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this because I'm not a school person. I really am not at all. <laughs> And uh, I find it restrictive and confining. And so, um, so I dropped out and I went back home and I did what I actually wanted to do, which is I wanted to, you know, let me try this. Do I like it? No. Okay. Let me try something else, you know, and, and figure out what it is I actually liked doing what I wanted to do. Cause I also was not a person who I knew I was not a person that it's like I'll be here working in this one job for 30, 40 years doing the same thing day in and I was not that. I call myself hippie dippy. <laughs> it's like I'll do this because I'm interested in it. And okay, once that is done and I have like I am more a project person. I have been blessed by God with a lot of talents and gifts. And so I use those talents and gifts in different ways. And it's like, okay, I'll do that here and then okay. That has been accomplished, moving on to something else. It's not something that I'm like, oh, I will do this day in and day out, this same thing over and over again, year after year after year, decade after decade. No. <laughs> so, um, and I'm like, hmm, 
Wow. I can kind of see a similarity. The most important thing to me was just being. There were things I wanted to do and I actually have done everything that I have wanted to do. I wanted to have my own home. I have my own home. I wanted to, um, you know, just different things and I've done the different things. So now it's like, you know, I just want to be. Every spring I um, take in orphan kittens. I um, foster for um, the animal rescue, one of the animal rescues, and I take in the orphan um, neonatal kittens, and I do that every spring. And then I end that by September. I finish that, and then that's holiday time. So I take that time, which is by then October, so the last quarter of the year, to enjoy you know, until it starts getting cold, I enjoy that time. And then there's where you start having the holidays and Thanksgiving is coming. So I want to do a Thanksgiving dinner. I, I do my, I do the same, <laughs> the same meal every year because these are the things that I like. And I do that and I find such enjoyment out of that. And then the holidays come, I put my Christmas tree up by a certain time and I have my lights up and I tend to slow down and just chill for the last two months of the year to reflect and okay what's going to be the goals for next year and reflect on the the current year that we're going out of and you know and different things like that and I just take that to just chill into the first month of the year and then it's just hibernating until spring and then when spring comes it's like by a certain point in March, it's usually, you know, you have a, a good amount of mild days that you can, and I look forward to going out on my deck and just sitting in the sun and just enjoying feeling the sun. And now being able to take walks and being out in the sun and watching the, the green trees and the flowering trees and the Canadian goose geese you know have their babies and you see their little babies and that's the time that i pull out my camera to do photography and stuff like that and you know and enjoy the whole warm weather season and then you know until you know fall starts up again but even though fall starts cold weather it also starts holiday season <laughs> you know and so these are the things i do because i've never been a person like oh i want to get up this corporate ladder Although I've had that experience, it was not an experience that I desired to have. It just happened, but I did that. And then I, after a point, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> and for me, just being at home is peace to me. Doing the things I love, the creative things, being able to say, you know what? Um, may not, you know, like doing meals on wheels or volunteering, you know, and even though we can't really do Meals on Wheels like I want to right now, but even being able to say, okay, you know what we can do? We can, like um, what I did for the holidays, for them because we did do Thanksgiving. So that's something that we do every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. We actually do Meals on Wheels. So we take meals to the elderly that, you know, don't have any family and stuff like that on the actual holiday. And I always make my holiday meals starting from a couple days prior so that when the actual Christmas day comes or the actual Thanksgiving day comes, food is ready to eat, okay? <laughs> so I've been preparing from at least, a, you know, a week ahead because you put, you know, even before that, you got to put the seasoning in so that it sits in the seasoning and seasoning gets all in there and stuff like that. So I have my own rhythms 
and those rhythms bring me comfort because I remember a point in my life where I wasn't in control of any of that. I wanted a different life and I couldn't have it at that point in time. And so when I finally reached 18 and I then had control over my life, now I can focus on what I would like to do and what I would like to accomplish. And for me, it's peace. Peace and quiet. <laughs> peace and stillness, I should say. I love, I wanted to have pets. I wasn't able to have it. I had birds, but I wanted to have cats. I wanted to have dogs. So when I became an adult, I had my own place. And I remember wanting to get my own home because nobody can tell me how many animals I could have. And I have taken that to the nth degree. I have many animals. I have many cats. I have three dogs. We have 10 cats. <laughs> we have a chinchilla. We have two guinea pigs and two rabbits. <laughs> we have an oxalotl. We have tadpoles out on our deck. <laughs> you know, we have a cockatiel. <laughs> so it's like, I've always wanted to do that. Like nobody can tell me you can't have this pet. And so me being able to live my life the way that I desire it to. And I know all of my animals. I have a routine that I go through and it's okay. And I know every animal. I know when I go downstairs, it's like, okay, where's so-and-so? I know how to greet them. I know what they want as far as their greeting. I know every one of my animals, every single one. And that brings me such joy. That is peace to me. My animals. And so it's like I understand. That is a foundation for me. Because I felt as a child unsettled. Very unsettled. And so being able to create and build my own environment and life has been peace and life to me. And I think that's why I struggled so much for those five years in the system because that was a disruption of that because I wasn't really in control of my life. If they said that I need to take them to go see their parents, then I had to do that. If they said, oh, you have to take them to the dentist or to the doctor every this often or we need to come into your house to do a visit every so I couldn't say no to that. So in my life was once again, and I had promised, not openly, but I in my head internally, I swore to myself that the restriction that I felt as a child, I would never feel again as an adult once I became an adult. So dealing with that was like being back in that place where I wasn't in control of my own life. And that's the worst thing to me. And... So I, so I think about that and I get it. I get it. Their life was chaotic, unstable. Didn't know if one day you're going to be here and another day you're going to be somewhere else. Because honestly, for those two that was in the one place before they came to me, I, they came to us a year prior than that because something was going on in the home that they were in and they needed to be removed for the weekend while it was dealt with. So I don't know how many times that happened that we had just, you know, they had just asked me at that point in time, but that may have happened more than once. And I, I just don't know because you would think because they were in the one place that they would feel settled. 
but you know that was something that had to happen as an emergency and they need to come that very night and so they came and i remember i remember them i didn't you know didn't really give an and then what happened is i got a call for an infant and so even though they were supposed to stay for the weekend if i had said yes to that i couldn't have them come back so what ended up happening is they had to leave and go to another home before they went back to the original home that they were in. So when I got the call a year later about them, I didn't remember them because, I mean, as I said, they were just over there overnight. And I remember, but I remember them. They were snotty, snotty nosed. <laughs> That's what I remember. I remember not being very impressed at all. I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, so when they, the, the person called a year later, but she probably was plotting in her head, <laughs> their, their caseworker. Because she's like, I'm calling you about the twins. And I'm like, what? What twins? Because <laughs> I had just told her, you know, we'll be open to adopting another one. And then so happened that they were looking to move them again from that home. Something happened and they needed to move them again. But this time, instead of moving them and taking them back, they wanted them moved to an adoptive home. And so that's what ended up happening there. And that had to be done within hours they were there within a couple hours so once again they had to be moved as an emergency so it's like and as I said that may have happened multiple times and we were just not the ones that they called so it's like so they had disruptions on settlement and then I know the the bird mother was visiting and then she stopped visiting she has disappeared and you know and then the bird father would visit here and there so that wasn't a constant either and so it's like you know a lot of disruption so I can understand that because they have peculiar ways of being <laughs> that we do the same thing. And then if that gets disrupted, they try to start doing that same thing again, get back to that. And we have to go through a whole tug and war about, no, no, that's not, that's not what I said before we go into the new, the new thing. So it's like, I get it. And for the friend whose former spouse, it's like, I can see that for him too, that because of what I know about his earlier life and the relationship that I know of with his parents, that the place that he was in with my friend, that was life to him. That was life to him. And that's all he wanted because he needed that as a child. That's what he sought out. That was his goal. And so having that completed him. And he really, and if that's all he had for the rest of his life, he was good. Not everybody has like, oh, these big goals of things that they want to do. <laughs> it's like, this is what I want. Just this, this right here. This right here. That's it. But then if you have somebody else and would they want more, then you have a conflict, <laughs> you know. And then you have to, once again, it's Jesus and. Because then you have to be honest. But maybe you don't even know that that's what your need is. You just keep going towards the same thing. Because my kids don't know that that's what their need is, obviously. There's nothing that they can't articulate or anything. <laughs> but I see it. And so they keep going back to, because this is what my core need is. So they keep going back to that. This is my core need. So I need to keep getting back to that. So I'm, you know, rejecting anything outside of that. And I keep getting back to that, that core need. 
And I see that. My core need is peace. <laughs> my core need is freedom. My core need is solitude, really. Like, just being able to just be. That's my core need. Just being able to just be. And I protect that. I protect that. And so when there was something I was trying to introduce for them, something that was just so simple, just so simple. And it's interesting because even though my son had a different experience, there was a point of trauma for him from the separation from his birth mother. That is a point of trauma because a lot of people think that it isn't, but it is because for nine months, gestation, that person's voice, that person's mood, they know everything about that, that person because they're right in there. That's closer than you can ever be unless you're a conjoined twin. <laughs> Actually, that's closer than even that because you're inside of them. So if they get tense, you feel it. You know, they, if they change moods, you feel it because you're right in there, connected, directly connected. So that is a point of trauma if there's a separation there. And so, and I think they say that newborns can even tell their birth mother by scent. They can pick them out of different women just by scent alone because there's that connection. So when you're separated from that, all you have known in your whole being and development up until that point, and now that's no longer there, that is a point of trauma as well. So I really want to talk about the Jesus and Jesus is the answer. Absolutely. not the only answer because if he was we would be in heaven <laughs> but we're here on earth in a broken world in physical bodies with souls that have experienced that have lived things that we remember and that we don't remember we not, may not remember it consciously but our body remembers and it remembers internally because you can have something happen to you as a child and then something happened and you react and you don't even know why you're reacting. It could even be as an adult and it happened to you so long ago that you don't remember the specifics of it, but you remember. I don't like people walking up on me. And when I say that, don't walk quickly up on me from, especially from behind or from the side. I don't like it at all. I will literally turn and face you because I want to see where you're going. There's a reason for that. There is an absolute reason for that. And I remember the reason, but I do that automatically. I don't like, I don't like that at all. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you know, there was a, I was in a relationship with somebody and he was the same way. I just went up to him and I playfully, you know, tapped him and he reacted. I mean, he didn't swing at me or anything, but he was like, yeah, don't do that because just like surprising him like that. He was, you know, so people have their, their points that I don't know why, but I know for me why I do that. So whether or not it's an intentional thing or, you know, your body just does something because internally you remember and so you go to protect yourself because that's what your psyche does. It protects you. And whether it's what it has done 
or how it has formed and shaped to protect you is a good thing or a not good thing. <laughs> it does it to protect you. You know, it protects you. It protects you. A lot of children that come from the system are manipulative, especially as they become teenagers and they have been in the system for a while because they want to be secure. They're not necessarily manipulating you because they're trying to manipulate you. They are their core need is security and stability. And so they try to manipulate the situation so that they know this is what's going on. This is what's happening. <laughs> and I know this, this is what's going to happen because, and this is why I can expect no surprises. No surprises. I need stability. And that's because they didn't have the stability, especially during that developmental time. That's very important to have that stability during development, especially during that first few years. And if you didn't have that, then, you know, yeah, you can develop some mechanisms, some mechanisms. Yeah. So it's Jesus and, and I think a lot of times the church, I mean, it's gotten better now, especially when you are dealing with new pastors, old school still hasn't gotten there, but new school, definitely because I, people more realize that we are not just spirits. <laughs> we are bodies and we have souls and the mind is a vast Vast, intricate thing. Vast and intricate. The mind and the brain and everything. That internal stuff is vast. And you can't just wish something away. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. If you're going to heal. And you can heal. That's where Jesus comes in. He's the only one that can do the ultimate healing. But that's like saying, I want to have my house clean. I'm not just going to wish for it to be clean. You know, I have to clean it. I have to do the work of decluttering, getting rid of things that no longer need, that are no longer needed, that are not being used so that the house would be organized so I can organize the house. And then, you know, Jesus is ultimately the one that can give you the strength to continue and to heal and to move forward. Because a lot of things that happen to us, it may seem like we can never recover. But the, rec the recovery comes from Jesus. But the path to it, that's where the end comes in. When I was going through that season, very long season, <laughs> I mean, because of the stress that I was feeling and the psychological effect of everything, I developed some physical stuff like high blood pressure. And I could have sat there and said, you know what, I do know, you know, I'm healed. Yeah. But I also needed to take the medication because my blood pressure was in the triple digits, bottom and top. And well, the bottom was in the triple digits and it was not coming down. So I could be Jesus, I could be like Jesus is the answer and that's good. And then, and you know, collapse. But it's like, hmm. No, I need to take the medication. I told them they had wanted to give it to me before, but I knew once I was out of the situation that it would subside. But this time I was still wrapped up in the middle of the situation. So I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a bit. And so I need this in the meantime. And now I don't take it because I'm out of that situation. But I took it because I needed it at that point in time. 
I needed Jesus and the medication. <laughs> Same thing, I had developed asthma. All of a sudden, I developed asthma at 40-something years old, right in the midst of all that, because the stress will present itself in different situations. And I needed to take the inhaler. I absolutely, I had to. I haven't taken that inhale. Well, I if I'm cleaning and there's a lot of dust and I don't put on a mask, then I need to, to use the inhaler after that. But other than that, I don't need to use the inhaler at all. I have used the inhaler within the past three years, probably five times. And it's always been in conjunction with me cleaning a lot of dust and not having put on a mask, which is what I should do, but I didn't do it. <laughs> so yeah, it's Jesus and, and whether that and is temporary or that and has to be permanent, who knows? So me saying, you know what, if that's what happens, well, I can see that where the need comes from. And to them, living life may just be, you know what, I'm at home and, you know, we do our, we homeschool and everything. When they get a dose, maybe like I go out to work, I come home, mom cooks or we cook together. And this family life, this is, this is my, this is my high point. This is what I, I want. And then I think to myself, I'm actually not even interested in getting married. So I'm like, if this is what we do, then, you know, you are going to work now. But if this is what their core need is. And that bucket never gets filled to the point where it's overflowing and they decide, you know what, I want to go out on my own and I want to do this or, you know, do that. Um, then it is what it is. I mean, I already have one child that's going to be with me always. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, because I understand. And because we have neurodiversity, uh, um, you know, that's another thing. Because it's not like the typical child or typical person. So there, there's that too. So it's Jesus and. Jesus and. Because you can say, Jesus, please get rid of the depression. But why are you depressed? Because... Just like saying Jesus get rid of um get rid of the diabetes or get rid of the um or you know me being overweight, but then it's also and is Jesus heal this and you need to get your eating habits together. Is Jesus and you need to rest and not go 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 as if your body is a continual machine. It's Jesus and let me stop putting myself in situations that cause me stress that I really don't need to be in. If you can say, Jesus, help me, you know, fulfill this goal. I really want to do this. But yet you keep putting yourself in situations that take you outside of that. That means you have tough decisions to make. Like I need to say, it's Jesus and say no. Even if you've, you you know, feel bad about saying no. The world is not going to end if you say no to something. It's not. Because a lot of the situations we put ourselves in, we actually don't need to be in. So we have to make decisions. We have to make decisions. What is the priority at this point in time? And even before we make decisions, we need to pause. I call it my pause effect. I pause and I think, do I need to be involved in this? Is there any benefit to this? 
is there an alternative to this? Is this any of my business? Do I even need to, you know, do, is this any of my business? Do I even want to do it? Is there a benefit to me? Is there a benefit to them? Is this going to take away from what I am actually supposed to be doing? And if so, how much time is that going to require? If I say yes, what boundaries do I need to put in place so that I make sure that I'm not extending more time than I need to on this, taking away focus for what I'm actually supposed to be doing? And that doesn't mean you get it right all the time, because sometimes we take do things to distract us from our current, you know, dealings or whatever. But acknowledge that, too. Yeah, I'm doing this because I want to be distracted. I just want to be distracted. This is not, you know, somebody else can do this. I don't even need to be involved. There's really no benefit to me. You know, they can have somebody else do this. I don't really need to be involved. But I, I want to be distracted right now <laughs> and acknowledge that. Because another time when you have to make the decision, it's like, okay, look, yes, you trying to be distracted, but you have things to do. Stop the nonsense and say no and go about your business and do what you know you're supposed to be doing. It's Jesus and, and Jesus also gives you the strength to do the things that you don't feel that you can do, to give you wisdom in doing the things and making the decisions that you should make, putting the rhythms in place that you should make so that, that you should, so that you can progress in the different areas that you know you need to progress in, to heal in the different areas that you know you need to heal in. It's Jesus and talk to you next time.